Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Autoramus Bulletin. In this episode, we speak with author Anne Simpson about her recent article titled, Four Centuries Later, A Modern Look at Introduction to the Devout Life. Of course, Introduction to the Devout Life was written by the great St. Francis de Sales, and this past December, we celebrated the 400th year since his passing. Anne is a musician and mother of five and has spent the last 20 years serving at the parish level as director of music. She holds a Master of Arts in Liturgy degree from the Liturgical Institute in Mundelein, Illinois. This was an amazing conversation and we get to peek into this great work by St. Francis de Sales from the perspective of somebody who works in liturgy and is a mother of five children. What a great conversation. So without further ado, another Adoramus interview. Anne, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, no problem. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you know, we're, today we're talking about your article in Adoramus Bulletin on uh, St. Francis de Sales. And uh, first of all, my first question is, you know, what inspired you to write about this particular topic? Well, I uh, read this book as a young woman um, with lots of young children. Um, and it was, you know, it was a profound experience when I when I first read it. Uh, with that season in my life, uh, that particular season of chaos, I would call it. <laughs> and um, and then I was fortunate enough as the kids grew older to take some time for uh, for myself to advance my degree. And I got a liturgy degree from the Liturgical Institute. And um, so picked up this book again with fresh eyes and uh, just a different perspective, reading through it again, through the lens of the liturgy. So uh, you mentioned in the introduction that this is more of a letter towards a specific person. Can you tell me about that perspective? What's different about that and and why did it uh, resonate with you? Yeah, uh, so Francis de Sales was bishop and uh, he was he was an aristocrat before he gave up his title and became a priest. And he was a bishop um, of, of Annecy in France. This is an area outside of Geneva. And he ministered to many different people. And he was very attractive because of his preaching style. And um, he was sought after by many in, uh, in the court, of course. And he knew many people in the court because of his wealth um, as a layman before he became bishop. And so actually... Um, a woman sought him out as a spiritual director, and he was he was um, he was very popular as a spiritual director and a and a confessor. Um, of course, we know just as a side note, uh, Saint Jean de Chantal was also one of his spiritual directees. Um, but anyway, he was sought out by this particular wife of a courtier, um, Madame Chamarsay, I think her name was, or something like that. And uh, and so this is a series of letters to her, um, you know, where he's just explaining the spiritual spiritual life to her. This was a, le- a regular a woman of the court, a very wealthy woman, uh, just kind of a regular gal. And uh, it's different in the in the works of uh, spiritual literature because it really is addressing lay people. Um, really, this book is for anyone. But in a particular way, he's addressing this lay woman um, who was just an ordinary person. And uh, despite her her fabulous wealth, you know, and her her propriety and sort of like, you know, a how to manual of how to be holy and how to live a sacramental life in the midst of the world, doing very worldly things. So um, 
he calls her, he removes her name in the, in the letters and calls her Philothea uh, within the book. So that's the, uh, the character um, who he's addressing. Of course, we all interpret Philothea to be ourselves when we read it. That, that's very interesting. And so, you know, right away, you talk about this both and, right? A devout life, which might just seem super personal and independent from anything else. But of course, the source is the liturgy. You tell me a little bit about that both and. Oh, yes. Well, one of the things that I think is is so beautiful about his writing is that it's so human. Um, it's It's so authentically human. It's grabbing hold of your individual gifts, uh, your individual vocation, your individual situation in life, whatever it is. And he's saying that this, this world of sanctity is open to you where you are in whatever season of life you're living in, um, provided that it's been reconciled to God and it's seeking after God. Um, and so, yeah, the, so this, you know, the source of our, the source of our nourishment on this journey to Christ, the source of our union with Christ is the sacraments. And that is the, uh, right. The glory of God is man fully alive. says St. Irenaeus. I uh, love that quote. I say it often. And when I read through this book, I thought of that, that St. Francis de Sales is really teaching us how to be fully alive by being fully sacramental, just immersed in the sacraments and that grace, that life of grace that we receive from the sacraments, from frequent confession, from frequent Eucharist, from leaning into our vocations, our marriages, our holy orders, that this life of grace um, provides us with union with God. And that is how we sanctify the world, right? That's the source of devotion. That's how we, we it, it sort of spills out of us and goes into the world and we change the world around us and we are fully alive. Yeah, that, that's John 10, 10. He, he came so that we might have life, not just life. Life itself is not even enough of a gift from God, but life to the full, which yeah. I think is really great. So yeah. you, you mentioned um, in the beginning of your article that he's coming on the heels of Calvinism and, and all of this, you know, Protestant uh, thought. How does how does this type of thinking pair with that? How does it how does it rebuke some of the that Calvinism? Yeah, I think really the source of Francis's theology, uh, the source of his preaching, like the heart of his message was charity and uh, love, love. Uh, so I think that uh, he was combating the Calvinist heresies with this message of love. So, uh, you know, the Cal with the big Calvinist heresy is predestination, of course. So we, you know, that's when, um, that's when you're, when you're born, you're either predestined for, for heaven or for hell and whatever you do, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, you're either going one way or the other and you have no choice in the matter. So uh, I think Francis combated this and Geneva, Geneva was just entrenched. It was a Calvinist stronghold. It was just entrenched in this. And so he, he when he preached, he preached like the solution to this heresy is love that God loves us, that cre he created us uh, out of love to know him, to love him and to serve him. And he gives us free choice to serve him or, to, or not. And that, and that freedom, free will is a gift of love. 
And and of course, this is all the same thing as not just the freedom, but the the ability to every day choose and to continue to be sanctified and to be made holy, which is a a big, it's not just something that, you know, we have to fit into this box, but it's something we actually get to actively participate in our own sanctification, which brings me to this next part, which is that, you know, in in many ways, he was kind of a precursor to the figures of the liturgical movement. So you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, his understanding of liturgy in this process of sanctification. Hmm. You know, a couple of things that really struck me, and I read about them in the article, <clears throat> is that he he does um, recommend frequent Eucharist, frequent reception of Holy Communion, not just frequent, you know, attending of the Mass and praying the Mass, but frequent reception. And, you know, this was written in well, like 1615 or something like that, and it was very unusual for, especially for a lay person, to approach the Eucharist very frequently in that manner. And his um, his defense of it is just beautiful to meditate on. It's a wonderful chapter in the book. Um, so that was prophetic, I think, in a sense. Uh, this he's recognizing that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. He is he is, uh, and he's calling Philothea to frequent it because she needs the nourishment that the Eucharist provides the grace, the Christ life that, that the Eucharist provides. Of course, he doesn't say Christ life. That's a liturgical movement um, phrase. Um, so that struck me as really prophetic. And it wasn't until 1905, Pius X uh, wrote a letter um, promoting more frequent communion. Um, he also talks about attending the mass and um not 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 um being consumed by private devotion during the mass but to pray the mass with the priest recognizing the sacrifice that is happening on the altar and he has a beautiful uh series of meditations on how to pray the mass and that is uh, was also prophetic because at that time the, the lay people were not provided with the text of the mass, um, or, or they like the anaphora, the, the canon of the mass to to pray along with the priests like they are now. So I think that's really really cool, a really neat connection with the liturgical movement as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. So if if he's demonstrating really good ways to participate in the mass when we can't even understand the vernacular and the, the perceived, you know, pre-Vatican to active participation is not there. How much more can we actively participate in when we can really enjoin ourselves with our words and our language? Mm, right. Yeah. He, he does talk about like vocal prayer versus uh, meditation. And he talks about vocal prayer, like how important it is to know your vocal prayers. And he encourages Philothea to know those prayers in Latin, but he also encourages her to meditate that on them in her language, like the language that she understands. So I thought that was like really interesting too, um, that he is promoting her f- to, to have an intelligent worship, a worship that she, you know, that she can internalize in her own language the last thing you talk about here is the phrase live Jesus being a bookend, you know, kind of, you know, front and back of this whole thing. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Why, why was that important in your uh, oh. understanding of this? 
Yeah, the phrase live Jesus really um, struck me. Okay, it, it stood out to me um, like something very familiar. Uh, my uh, my husband and my sons attended a Christian brothers or my uh, attended a Christian brothers school. Um, and one of the phrases of the Lasallian tradition, so from St. Jean-Baptiste de La Salle, and this is how they sort of began their prayer or in their prayer daily is uh, they say, live Jesus in our hearts. And then um, the leader of the prayer says, live Jesus in our hearts and the class answers forever. And so this was a phrase, live Jesus was a phrase that, that struck me as something very familiar. And um, so I made note of it, that it is at the very beginning in the dedicatory prayer of the book. And then it's also at the very last paragraph. Um, so just meditating on that, live Jesus. Um, this is like, this is like a motto for life, you know, or I called it a battle cry <laughs> almost or a prayer, or it's, a, you know, one of those ejaculatory phrases that you could say anytime. Um, like, uh, Jean-Baptiste de la Salle lived, you know, 100 years after Francis de Sales. So I wonder, uh, who started it? You know, I wonder if Francis de Sales began this himself, um, and, uh, Jean-Baptiste de la Salle picked it up, but I do know also that it really influenced Jean, Jean de Chantal because she would begin and I think she would begin all of her letters with that phrase as well. Anyway, it was just neat to think about, but it's a great uh, sort of summary of this way of life, um, this becoming fully human and and uh, becoming who Christ wants us to be uh, through our lived liturgical life, through our prayer life, and then through our works of charity, our good deeds. So you mentioned that you read this a while ago when you were younger, right? How, what is the difference between reading it then and then coming back to it after, you know, earning a liturgy degree and kind of understanding that part of it in terms of a devout life for you in a very practical way as a mother with children? Right. Well, the biggest takeaway I think I took from it as a young mother was just an acceptance of to, just to be who I was, just to be where I was and who I was, just that, you know, I ex accepted the fact that I was in a season of chaos that my heart desired deeply to go to daily mass and to have a, a really life, a life of beautiful structured prayer. And then at the time it was just too, it was too chaotic. I had to sacrifice that um, in order to raise the kids. But France de Sales sort of gave me permission to seek God um, sort of in mundane tasks and little things around that centered around my life of service as a, as a wife and as a mother. So um, like the kitchen sink, for example, or in the laundry room or in the quiet moment, nursing the baby or whatever it was. And so um, just to take a few steps higher up or back or forward or what, whatever direction I've gone here in my life, you know, I have older children and I have more time and I have opportunities to, um, to sink into more of a liturgical life and uh, a life of more structured prayer. And it, it doesn't take away from my mothering at this point because my children are older. So to pick up the book again, um, it just revealed itself to me in new ways, all these little gems 
that maybe I missed the first go round because I wasn't ready to, to, I just wasn't ready for them. Um, but certain things that life experience has taught me, uh, you know, sink in differently now than they did then. And, uh, definitely the, the liturgical perspective and really just, just seeing how truly prophetic he was. And he was giving us a call to holiness that it was certainly echoed in the 20th century. Well, Anne, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. You're very exciting. We hope that there are more opportunities for you to write for Adoramus in the future, and we can sit down and do another one of these conversations. So thank you so much for your time and your, and your great writing. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. God bless.